Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Conversational. My name is Julie Rame, and today my guest is Paul Kane, which is very exciting, as most of mine are. I, I, I have exciting guests. This is, uh, this is part of my, sh- my shtick. But Paul and I go way back, um, and what was really fun is we just did a little bit of a prep call is just the reminder of just what a small world it is and how I think almost 80% of my other guests are super entwined with his life too. So it's either a small world or we're just a really... Um, or we're just a really, uh, I guess, uh, ex- exclusive group, exclusive in that we don't get out much except for to see one another. <laughs> um, but let me tell you a little bit about Paul. Um, so Paul is president of On Location, which is a premier experiences leader and official partner of the NFL. Thank God the NFL was back this year, acquired by sports and entertainment leader Endeavor just last year in 2020. Through partnerships with more than 150 rights holders, including the NFL, the NCAA, PGA of America, and USTA in relationships with key festivals, musical artists, and other creators, On Location provides official and exclusive access for corporate clients and fans to memorable experiences at marquee events. I'm going to tell you about a memorable ex- experience that had nothing to do with this job that Paul and I had together many, many moons ago. So he's, I can tell you, he's He's, he knows how to put on a good, a good show. Before he went to Endeavor and On Location, he has done amazing things like operating, transforming, investing small and large scale public and private businesses. Most recently, he was chief revenue officer at Bloomberg. He was chief executive officer of Westwood One and had many, many roles at Time Inc. over the last 23 years, which is crazy because we're not, 23 years in professional life is insane. That can't be, including executive vice president, CRO and group president. He's also founder of PC Ventures, which is an investment and advisory company, chairman of the board of Magnite and chairman of the board of Engine Group, where he also served as interim CEO. In addition to all of that, he's held various industry leadership roles, including serving on the boards of the IAB, the RAB. These are the Interactive Advertising Bureau, the Radio Advertising Bureau, and the MPA, which is the Association of Magazine Media, as well as the board member of retail franchising company, Nexen. Am I saying that right? Nexen Brands? All right, that's right. He's philanthropic to the nth degree, and the only blip in his illustrious the career in life is that he went to Indiana University, which is a, you know, a Purdue alumni. That's always, you know, we have to squint a little, but he, uh, he was on the IU Media School Dean Advisory Board and was also previously chairman of Music Cares, which is a National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. He and his wife, Pam, are also the founder of Griffin Cares in honor of their son, Griffin, in support of families that have experienced the loss of a child. And he lives in the Jersey area with with Pam and his three kids. And you're going to get to hear all about him. And obviously, you got a little insight into one of his big Hoshimos already with his son, Griffin. But nice to have you, Paul. I'm so excited you're here. Wow, Julie, that was quite the readout. I I want my mother to hear all of that. That's incredible. (laughs) I I think I don't know if my family could have done that. That's incredible. Call me. I'll take (laughs) Well done. Well done. (laughs) And Julie, you're right. We go way back. I was thinking about leading into this podcast to the amount of history that you and I have shared over the many years. It's kind of wonderful. It is fun. And you know what? I love, like, I, I, this has been such a, you know, doing this podcast is just a passion project for me. This is not, I don't make money. I don't do the ads. I don't do any of that stuff. I, but it has been such a walk down memory lane. And I think I probably took a lot of my relationships for granted because we were just so busy in our careers and these people that we 
you know, you interacted with and sometimes you had enough, you know, at a conference, enough time to grab a drink and get to know people. But this has been more personal, more personal time with all of these individuals than I have ever spent. And it's been it's been truly a gift and fun to see just how we are all actually interconnected. I, I love that. Actually, it inspired me. It inspired me so much when we when we were talking about this podcast, and it reminded me of this of this uh, friend and colleague who actually is an editor at Good at uh, Good Housekeeping. She um, she and I worked together at Team People, and and she for her fortieth birthday um, did such inspiring things. She had dinner with forty people who inspired her life, and she recorded the dinner and wrote a blog about each dinner. And it was just incredible inspiration to listen to her reconnect with people who had an influence on her life from grade school teachers to current career type people to just friends, family members. And listening to just that, it just made me think like, wow, our journey is filled with just people who just helped us one way or another shape our, our, our world. And, yeah. you know, Julie, you are one of those people in my life and mm-hmm. Uh, and so many of the people that you've spoken to are, are those people in my life. And, uh, and I think we're all very privileged to have these relationships, to just have these, to be along the journey. And during it, you don't even know the influence they're going to have on you. But when you look back 10, 20 years later, it's so clear uh, the impact that they've had. And, and I'm always grateful for that. Yeah, I think it's, I know it's special. It's, um, and it's, it's, when you talk about the impact, you, you're going to tell a story here. We'll, we'll get into it, but um, just about the, where, you know, where we were both given an award at the same awards ceremony and how that was one of actually previous guests, Jackie Kelly, you know, had gone up to you. And I was thinking, Oh, you know, I was with the Meredith team. The Meredith magazine team had done a dinner for me at that. And I should really go back and talk to those. I just, you know, it's, these are the great opportunities to actually walk back and to do exactly what you were saying your friend did from good housekeeping and, and just sort of reconnect. And I think in some ways the pandemic, at least for me has allowed me to, you know, you have to think harder about connecting because you're not going to randomly run into people, but at the same time, because we don't physically see people, it feels like you're further apart. You know, it feels like it's longer. The time feels longer to me anyway. A hundred percent. So, all right. Tell people, all right. Tell people, let's start with you going what, you know, my first question always out of the gate, tell people, I know you had kind of an idyllic childhood, but tell them about your, where you were born, what your parents did kind of where you, your sibling situation. I don't know if it's idyllic. Let's start with that. (laughs) I think I had a pretty normal childhood. I'll tell you that I was a, I grew up in New Jersey, which is um, normal enough. And, and I don't know many people that would call that idyllic to start, but I am a big fan of Jersey to start with. I did grow up in Jersey, um, but growing up, I was the middle child of three siblings, two sisters, an older and a younger, which probably explains a lot about the story of my life. Um, I had my wonderful parents. Uh, my my uh, dad and mother were both in the dental profession. My dad is a dentist. My mom is a hygienist who later discovered her artistic side and decided to uh, become a painter. And then ultimately she owned a picture frame store uh, in, in uh, right over the border in New Jersey to New York uh, State, which is called Pearl River, which is where the town that she was in. And um, it was a great little store called Frame It Yourself where you'd go in and you'd pick out a picture frame and you'd frame it. You'd actually build the frame yourself and you'd spend like two hours with my mother. And then ultimately, um, uh, and then walked home with an amazing piece of work. 
but that that was my parents. And so my my whole world and orientation was very much towards dentistry, frankly. So I grew up there. And you have lovely teeth. And I they people can't see this because it's an audio only, but I just want to say, despite the fact that you clearly didn't go into dentistry, you 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 had good habits growing up. Yes, my dentist reminds me of that. She goes, you, you will, you, she goes, you will die with every tooth in your mouth. Do not worry. Thank you. So you, so when you were, you were, you were kind of, I will say, primed um, to be a dentist. So how, when, I guess, when did that change? You, you. So I was kind of a tale of two cities. So growing up, I was, I kind of was raised to be a dentist. That was everything I always knew for my whole life was that you're just going to follow in the family business because my grandfather was a dentist and it was just a long line of dentists, which sounds so exciting, doesn't it? And, uh, but at the same time, I had this entrepreneurial spark because I just always felt like I needed to make money. So from a really early age, um, I, was, I started making money. So I was uh, I'm just about to turn 10 years old and my father, to put himself through dental school, was a magician. And so he did magic shows for kids parties. And I used to love going to my grandmother's house and playing in the attic and finding his magic tricks and putting on shows for my family from when I was like five, six, seven. So right before my 10th birthday, my sister, um, she was a brownie (laughs) of all things. And my mother was the troop leader. And they said, oh, do you want to do a performance of your magic for the brownie troop? And of course, at 10 years old, I'm like, yes. So I did. And it was probably the worst performance of all time, except this one brownie came up to me and said, um, can you do this at my birthday party? And her mother said, I'll pay you if you're willing to do it. And that sparked this entire idea of like, wow, I actually could make money doing this. So I ended up doing that. And then it spawned this entire business for me for a while where I was doing magic shows for kids' birthday parties. So much so that my younger sister became my assistant. And we had this whole like, routine that we would do. And I had these incredible tricks that I was buying and, um, and it was fun. It was super fun. And so I kept doing that. And at the same time, working to be a dentist, and then I needed more money and I got into sales. I started working at a, an appliance store called Trader Horn, which was the precursor to Best Buy. And I would sell televisions and washers and dryers and air conditioners and all these things. And I loved it. And I just loved selling and I loved working with people. And, um, and I started making a lot of you know, money at that age. For that age, I was making decent money. So I was on commission. And, uh, and, and I couldn't work enough hours because I was so excited about it. Um, and I just really loved it. And then it, the combination of those two experiences and a whole slew of entrepreneurial efforts when I was a kid sort of informed my thinking. The third, the third track was I was also a musician. So I play piano and I play other instruments and I write. And so I always loved music and entertainment and performing. And so I always had that side of me too. So all of those things were happening. So dentistry, I had this business entrepreneurial side, and then I had this music side. And then, so I graduated high school and I decided, okay, I'm going to go to dental school. So I applied to one college, Fairleigh Dickinson, and I got in and they had a program where you could do your undergrad and grad all at the same time. So I started my undergrad portion of it and it was, um, and I, and I was on my way. And then after a year of it, I decided, um, it wasn't for me. I made that decision literally on the car on the way home from school with my father. And he said, you're kidding. You're not going to be a dentist. And I said, no. And he goes, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know, but I kind of want to do something in business. And I want to do something in the world of entertainment, like music or something. And he, he, 
he actually agreed. He thought that was a good idea because he said, you know, you probably would be better at that than a, than a, uh, than, than in, um, a dentist uh, because my, my passion wasn't for dentistry as his is and still is. Um, so that's what really kicked off my whole and changed my life. Um, so I went, I applied to, I, I knew I had to go to school in the fall, somewhere different. And my mom was very clear with me. She said, you can't sit around. It's already almost July and you got to go somewhere. Where are you going to go? And I said, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. And I had really good grades. So I wasn't a big, I didn't think it was going to be too big of a challenge. Um, and I was watching HBO and Breaking Away came on. And I, at the end, I was like watching it going, wow, that's a great movie. That place looks fantastic. Where is that college? And at the end, it was Indiana. And I said, oh my God, I'm going there. So I called them and said, I want to go out to, you know, how do I transfer? And they said, well, you send your transcripts. And if we, uh, and if you meet our mark, you can come on out. So I, I sent them overnight and got in a week later and packed up my car a couple of weeks after that and drove out to Indiana for the first time. Never saw the school in person. Didn't even have a room. I lived in the lounge of a dorm. That's because they didn't have a room for me. And, um, and then started my, changed my whole life. And, um, and, and from there, I. You had to, you're you're short shrifting yourself because this is all very much about who you are. So you went after your first year of dental school, like on a whim, seeing the movie breaking away, going, living in a lounge, like making it happen. But you not only had to like go to this kind of out of the blue, this new school, but you had a, you finished it and you had to get it done in three years, right? Oh yeah, I missed that part. My, my parents, unfortunately, we didn't have a, enough money to pay for more than that. And so my parents were pretty clear that like, look, we can piece it together between loans and all this other stuff um, because I had a really good deal at Fairleigh Dickinson um, because of grades and uh, and my dad was a, was a professor at the dental school there. And, uh, and so they were like, you got to finish in three years. You got to finish on time. I was like, oh no, how do I do that? So I ended up doing over 20 credits a semester. So my, my peak was 22 credits, but most of it was about 20, 21 credits a semester to graduate on time. And I did, and uh, which was a feet and a half, but- this is My college is pretty young, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how I did it. It was like, it was, I was taking so many classes at some times that yeah. it was hard to juggle. There was this one semester, I actually think I had two classes that overlapped. So it was even hard to attend them. Uh, at one point, but you know, you do what you got to do. That's it's crazy. Yes. You probably didn't go to a lot of those, what they're called the little five hundreds, right? The bike race. Yeah. I went to everyone I could. I, I went to all three. I only was there for three years. Well, your inspiration, was, right? The movie was totally kind of- had to go, had to go. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So then, but you got an internship. Did you get an internship while you were at college, while you were in college in yeah. the agency world? So, um, so my, my major, I, I wanted to major in business at, or music and neither, I couldn't get a music major cause I wasn't really a music major candidate and the business major required four years. So I knew I couldn't do that. So I had to be a business minor and they had a school at the time in communications, which, cause I also loved, I thought maybe I'll do filmmaking. Maybe I'll do on a television. I don't know. I, I had a creative, I had an in- interesting creative somewhere along the line and so I was in the communication school and I took an advertising class um, by a professor who, to, who is my friend, one of my closest friends to this day. He is, he, yeah, he's, his name is Walter Gans. He's a huge mentor of mine. Uh, 
we're still in touch. My wife is good friends with his wife. Like we're really, it's, he's just an amazing mentor. And so I took his advertising class and was blown away. And I said, now that's what I'm going to do. So uh, I, I actually had a family friend. My, my mom's best friend since kindergarten was married to a legend in our business. His name is Jay Burzon. Oh. And he, uh, I called him uh, actually one afternoon after my advertising class and said, Jay, I really want to get into advertising. You were in, in advertising. He worked at Women's Day. He was the publisher of Women's Day at the time. And I said, how do I get a job in advertising? And he said, oh, I'll, I'll connect you to a few people. So he connected me to, um, uh, I can't remember her name, but someone at SSCMB who I, Loretta Volpe, that's the CMB. And he also connected me to Joe Ostra at YNR. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough after interviewing with both that they both gave me an offer. And I ended up taking an internship at YNR in the spot television department. As, uh, <laughs> <Local>. <laughs> it was a local television entering post buys, which was fantastic and loved every single second of it. Uh, and it was, it was amazing. And then that's when I decided, okay, I'm in, um, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a media planner. And I, uh, was lucky enough after that to interview and get a job at J Walter Thompson, um, which really was phenomenal because they had a great training program at the time where they hired, they recruited real candidates. They hired them, they trained them over a one year period, um, very arduous training program. And I had an amazing boss at the time. His name is Doug Hockstead. And also one of my best friends to this day, he actually signed, who stood up for me at my wedding uh, as one oh of my, my God. and he, uh, he, he, he and I are super, super, super close, but he, um, he hired me out of college and gave me my first opportunity. And there I went. That's so funny. You know, it's funny when you're, um, this part of the story is so like a, a mutual friend of ours who was also a big time anchor, Mark Ford. He Mark talks Ford, about, yeah. you know, Walter. he's yeah. a Cleveland, right. And he was like, I wanted to work for an agency all my whole life. I was going to like, and I was only going to work. I had to work for JWT. I had to work for the best agency. And he tells a story about like, you know, living in his car and the, the phone booth and calling and working basically for free. Cause they didn't pay anything. Uh -huh. But it was like everybody's dream. If you were going to be in advertising, like in the 70s, 80s, even probably early 90s, like JWT was the pinnacle of that experience. It certainly was. I mean, we, um, we uh, Jim Pattison was the president of JWT, the, the author. And we, we were surrounded by incredible oh. creative people. Yeah. And we were incredible creative people and interesting people and um uh, and it was right. I joined two years before Martin Sorrell bought it. And oh, yeah. so I was there when he bought it. Actually, the funny story about Sir Martin, and he'll never remember this, but I was in a cube right outside what became his office. And he, when he purchased JWT, he moved into the office right outside my cube that day. And um, I used to talk to him all the time. I don't think he remembers a minute of it, but I just found every conversation with him so interesting because he came from a completely different field yeah. and he wanted to be in this field. And I just thought his level of curiosity and business acumen was so fascinating and inspiring to me that I just, um, I didn't know what life was going to become with him. Certainly I was such a young person myself, but uh, I, I look back to those moments and think, wow, what an influence, you know, he had to. That's, I, I mean, that you got to, I mean, it's kind of fun to think back when Martin was just building the empire, which is 
right? You know, when he was yeah. doing that, it's a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing that you could be, be there with him when, when he was doing that anyway, just, and they kind of be outside as a young, like absorbing all of it. So, all right, let's talk about the rest of like all these crazy coincidences. So, so you left, you ended up leaving JWT and, and why, and where'd you go? Uh, so I couldn't afford to stay there. So it's similar to Mark. <laughs> I, um, I, I was working all the time and it cost me more to work there than it was at, than they were paying me. Yeah. And I was going into more and more debt. Um, it was insane. And, and, uh, and, and I only worked there for about a year and a half in total, but I was out to lunch one day and it was the craziest thing. I, you go out to lunch in those days with me, with like a media rep and either you would eat at the most expensive restaurant in New York or you would have a bagel and butter. That was, those are your two choices. And so anytime a rep would ask me to, to lunch, I'm like, uh-huh, I'm there. You know, <laughs> I'll sit front row at the US Open women's finals or like, you know, hitchhike home some night, you know, like yeah. one of the two, like it was, it was crazy. So I was, I got invited out to lunch by the publisher of Working Woman. Her name is Barbara Bella. And she, uh, we had a great lunch. And at the end of the lunch, she said to me, you know, you'd be really good in sales. Would you ever consider that? And I said, um, of course, uh, thinking you must, you, you all dress really well. You must get paid really well. <laughs> so I, so I said, of course, let me, you know, we'd love to talk about it. And a week or two later, after a couple of interviews, she um, offered me a job and it inspired me because I said, wow, that is great. I declined the job, thanked her very much and thanked her and said, you gave me the best idea because I'm not the person who should work for a working mother because I'm far from that profile. However, I'm going to go get a sales job. And then I, um, I went down my passion list and one of my favorite, favorite things to do every day was to read USA Today. So I called the uh, called over to USA Today and got a hold of this guy named David Obraski, who was the New York manager. And I got an interview with him and he, um, he gave me, he introduced me to Valerie Salambier, who was the ad director. And the two of them offered me a job. They offered me a job as a very, very junior sales rep selling what used to be called in those days, books and records, which is the worst list you could ever get uh, at the time because there was no money in it. But I was so excited to be there and it was more money than I was making it at J. Walter Thompson, but definitely not a lot of money. And, um, and but I, I loved it and I started selling there. And, and again, what an incredible journey because to work for people like Kathy Black, who is the publisher and yes. Valerie Salambier and, and, uh, and David. And then my New York manager was this guy named Lou Kona, who was you know, also a legend in our business. And one of my very close friends to this day is this woman named Laura Schroff, who was the number one salesperson there. And uh, all of them were really formative in, in my thinking. So I worked there a year and I was doing well and, and I was actually selling some interesting things. My favorite sell of all time was big basketball fan, college basketball, especially going to Indiana. And I was watching the NCAA Final Four that year. And one of my clients was Bristol Myers. Yeah. And uh, the final four, um, Dick Vitale was broadcasting it and he was talking about how he was naming his, you know, his all Windex team, the guys, you know, who cleaned up the boards, the best rebounders. <laughs> and I was, I was like, oh my God. So I called my client to Bristol Myers and said, I had this okay. idea. Why don't you sponsor the actual scholarship of the all Windex team and we'll do it in USA Today and, I'll, and we'll maybe Dick Vitale will come on board. And they did. So we created that program, which lasted many years, by the way, 
And um, I and I and that I found you know exciting because I was like, wow, you could literally come up with an idea and someone's going to buy it. That's unbelievable. So well, plus, I, it made um, an impact. It was a scholarship, so it was like a double goodness, right? It, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, totally. And we gave a thousand dollars a week to the All Windex team, and then there was an end of season prize after that. And um, and then I got a call back from Jay Burzon who said, hey, um, he was the publisher and, and one of the owners of American Health and they just bought Psychology Today. And he said, hey, would you consider coming to work for me at Psychology Today? And of course, because of the family relationship and how much I really admired him at the, uh, and, and his work, I agreed and I went over to uh, Psychology Today. It was a big mistake because I should have learned my lesson from working woman because I'm not the Psychology Today person. So why <laughs> am I working in Psychology Today? And although I probably, you know, you're probably a good patient, but I'm not necessarily the person that would represent the product. And um, I really just didn't like that job. And I was doing well, I just didn't like it. Uh, and I was out to lunch with Lou Kona, my manager at USA Today, who went over to people. And he said, oh, you know, if you're not happy at Psychology Today, we need more really good people at people. Would you ever consider coming over here? And then at that time in the uh, late eighties, Working at Time Inc. was the best publishing job you yeah. could get by far. And I was like, oh, could not believe that they would even consider it. So I, of course, took the interview. I spent an entire day interviewing with people who are unbelievable. And to this day, some of the best people that ever walked in this industry. And by the end of the day, they actually gave me the offer. Uh, and I, uh, I accepted it, of course, and then started my started people which led to a 24 year run. I was like, that is, it was a major holy shit moment for you. Just that you just had no idea what that would do. But what's so interesting is that it's multiple things. One looked like Barbara, I was working woman of the year, one of them one year. And by the working mother of the year, one year, I was never a, the working mother of the year. I can tell you that like as much as I was working and my husband had to be a stay home dad, because I didn't, I was like, but God bless Barbara for thinking of us and trying to like give working moms, which we, it was very tough back then. And so I love, I, I mean, while maybe working moms wasn't right for you and the things that you've done at people, like what teen people, like all the things you're about to tell us at timing is are amazing. I love that these people that you've interacted with are such trailblazers in their own right. I think, I mean, I love, I love the story of your trailblazing and because you're about to share that, but I think trailblazers beget trailblazers blazers and there's some sort of magnetism. And I, I just, I love that is for the people who are listening. And when they think about, you know, the holy shit moments in their life and how do you get there? This is, it's not luck or chance. It is, like aggressively, like the little subtle things that you're talking about is I'm having lunch. I stayed in touch. My professor, like that there's some work that goes in there of understanding the benefit of that human connection with people that makes a huge difference. And it's, it's, it's not only inspiring, but it's like, we are on the backs of each other. So I had to jump in there with it because your story is so interlaced with so much goodness of that. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's not that we're on the backs of each other. We're actually locking arms with each other. And and I also feel it's really important that we lock arms with the next generation too. And I spend a fair amount of my time talking, speaking with people coming into the, to the industry, wanting to go even into college. And I'm deeply connected to my university still. And, um, and, and I find any time that we can help somebody the way I was helped is such a gift. And, yeah. I, 
And to this day, I'm still helped. Every day I'm still helped. There yeah. are people that are constantly helping me. And I'm not, you know, I'm always thankful for everybody's help and assistance because in the end of the day, we're in a very collaborative industry that requires us to work together in a very high functioning way. And you learn those skills early on. You know, yeah. you need to to be that partner and be trusted and and uh, caring and supportive and and never forgetting because uh, you know no no one's too good where they don't need the help. Everybody needs the help. Everybody needs the help, and you don't sometimes even know how much you're helping somebody by just doing a, something that's like simple and that you would never even think twice about. Okay, I took I didn't want to take you off your rhythm. No, you're at okay. people now you're at like the best, the most exciting, especially like late 80s, early 90s, such a great place to be at timing, like the best, the best publications, magazines were it. I mean, totally different era. Yeah, oh yeah, I walking off the elevator that first day, I had such a rush of energy that I, that I actually experienced with, again, a year ago when I took this job. So I'll, I'll explain that later. But the uh, I had such a rush of energy of knowing I was part of something pretty special. I just couldn't believe that I was part of it. And I was so happy to be there. In fact, my manager at the time kept walking by my office going, why are you smiling all the time? You're so happy. And I said, because look where we are. This yeah. is amazing. And he, he's like, oh, you'll get over that. But I never did. I just loved it. And um, and I, did, I, I was... I was a salesperson there uh, for a few years, and uh, and then my my boss, uh, my 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 then manager, you know, he uh, three years later, his name is Peter Bauer. He, he's still another good friend of mine too. He um, he gave me my first opportunity to manage, and I became a New York manager, which at that time at Time Inc was a big deal, uh, especially at, the, at being I was just about just almost turning thirty, so I was really young and and. It was a little young to be a manager. In fact, most almost everybody in my group that I managed was older than me, so it was a little bit weird. But but it was really exciting for me. Um, and then and I thought I was really on on the right path. And I th- thought ultimately I was like, wow, if I could only become like the ad director of people, that would be like a life dream. And um, little did I know that walking down the hall one afternoon when I was uh, I was I actually was just I just turned thirty at the time. Uh, no, actually I turned 31. So it was 1996, I think it was. Uh, Ann Moore was the publisher and she was walking down the hallway and she stopped my office and she said, you know, Paul, um, every year the age of people goes up a year and it worries me because at some point we're going to become irrelevant. This is back in like, yeah, 1991, 1992 ish, somewhere in there. And she, uh, and I, and I was taken back by that honesty, which I loved. And she said, you know, you're the youngest person here. How do we get more, get more young people to read people? And I, and I took it on as a bit of a project and I worked on it. And after a bit of time, we're thinking through all these different scenarios of what we could do. I was actually watching two of my favorite shows on a Wednesday night, 90210 and Melrose Place. And uh, my daughter, who yeah. is who is a toddler was sitting on the floor playing and uh and it occurred to me when i was looking at all the teen magazines in front of me while i was watching these shows it occurred to me that i didn't want her reading those magazines because they were all about beauty fashion and boys and it just i just didn't like it and and i uh so i i thought there's got to be a way for for people to come up with a teen idea that would appeal to something that i'd be proud my daughter to read 
And I went back to my team that I was working with on it and we started kicking around the idea. And we then wrote a business plan for team people. And Nora McIniff, who was the ad director or the publisher, I'm sorry, of people at the time, she, um, she loved the idea and she, she was really a champion of it. And she worked with us because I didn't know enough at that time, but she worked with us to develop a really smart business plan for it. We had an editor, his name is, uh, I won't say his name, he was a guy. And he, um, he wrote what was, what was supposed to be the editorial of our uh, ideas that we were gonna test. And I actually thought it was a terrible idea with everything he was writing. And we knew that we were up against what was called then, you know, sort of like a shootout between two, two ideas. And it was between uh, team people as an idea or people in Espanol. And the publisher of People in Espanol, who the person who was championing that one was, her name was Lisa Quiros, who is literally one of the most brilliant people in the magazine industry ever. Uh, she, she was doing great on her idea. And then it was our idea for, for team people. And we were running out of money and research and we were coming up against the shootout. And I thought, okay, if this editorial is not gonna work, we're never gonna get there. So I called up my sister, who's a high school math teacher in New Jersey. And I asked her if we could come out and talk to her students. And she said, yes. So we went out and drove out to Glen Rock, New Jersey and pitched the idea of teen people as that editor outlined it. And within a very short amount of time, the, the teenager said it was terrible. And I took out of my bag people, Entertainment Weekly and InStyle. And I said, here are the three properties that we have. If we were to make a teen magazine that was inspired by these three properties, what would it be? And they came up with the idea for team people. And then we quickly wrote about it. We wrote it all down, stopped at a burger place on the way home. And we said, and, and I said, well, you know, what's interesting about this? Sorry. Interesting thing about this is that um, if, uh, if, if, is that nobody who works on this property are readers of this property. So no matter what we do, we're not reading it. So we need to get stay connected. And we came up with the idea of a product called Trendspotters, which was um, a group of teens that would be, that we could stay connected to, to keep us relevant, similar to the Glen Rock teenagers. Uh, and then we came back and pitched teen people. And then the good news is, um, Don Logan, who was the CEO of Time Inc. and Ann Moore, looked at our idea and looked at People in Espanol and actually gave People in Espanol full funding and then gave us half funding and said, go. And we thought that was a victory. <laughs> so we yeah. got to launch team people uh, with half funding, which we were thrilled with. What year, what year was that? We ended up launching in 1998. So it took a little bit of time because we first had to get an editor, which we hired Christina Ferrari, right. who's a brilliant editor. And she really came up with the ultimate idea of the editorial. She hired an um, entertainment editor called Laura Majewski, who's actually a personality on Sirius XM and an author. Right. Uh, and she, um, and the two of them really, really fine tuned and came up with what became team people. But, uh, um, but, but once we got them in place and it took about a year, once we got them in place to ultimately launch. So we launched in February of 1998. February of so, and that's where just to the connection, that's where you and I met. And I'm trying to think of when, cause I was at Ford launching the Ford focus in the United States for the first time. So it was, that's right. the focus has been around now, obviously a long time, but in, we were launching it. We launched it actually on the MTV VMAs on nine, nine 99. <laughs> so I, you know, it's like, but, but the ongoing like launch 
is, you know, when you, <laughs> so this was, you know, it like the cocktails and the events you took myself and somebody and we were like, we're going to get together and we're going to, we're going to work a program together. We're going to craft it together. You didn't take me to Jersey, which I don't know if I would have thought was cool. Although coming from Detroit, it might've been instead we went to Santa Fe and I got the worst sunburn of my life, but we sat outside and we crafted this whole, like this whole trend spotters tour because the focus was geared at young people. And it was, it was so, I I remember everything about that trip. I remember going to see um, the museum of um, Harry Connick Jr.'s wife's mother. (laughs) That's right. The one who designed the coins, the Sacagawea coin. I I have the Sacagawea coin in my wallet to this day. Uh, Glenda Goodacre. Glenda Goodacre. Yes. Good one. We were all like, I'm telling you, this was it. So we, but we created this, that's a little memory lane moment, but, but we created this really cool tour that the car itself was on tour with the trend spotters, with the music. It was all, and it was, it was one of your, we were probably one of your first sponsors, but we were both really young. I mean, I was 29, 30. Like we were, this was like a big oh. deal for both of us, both kind of career making things. It really was. I remember that so well because the Santa Fe concept was, I was working with, the, uh, I was the associate publisher at the time and the publisher was Annie Zarin and she had this idea of doing these uh, go away trips with groups of interesting, smart people to come up with interesting, great ideas. And and that one was such a good one because we did go out to Santa Fe and and. Uh, and we did come up with that tour. And what we did is we booked um, a band called the Moffats and we put them on tour <laughs> around the country. They're a Canadian band. And we had we had parking lots filled with uh, driver age teenagers doing yeah. test drives and seeing music and combining it with fashion. Yeah. And it was it was great. And I remember the local dealers, the four dealers were so yeah. excited about bringing it out with the energy. They just you know, they, they did more test drives with parents and teenagers yeah. uh, through this product. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. But I mean, those were very moment making and we were just young enough to not know better exactly. and to think that you could do like, this is right. This is going to make a big difference. This is going to be great for this, for our, for our customers of all kinds of customers. It was, I mean, there's a lot of specialness of like just seizing the day, I think in that anyway, I've, it's such a, I love that part of the story and how you built that. And I love that I was part of the early, your early part of your team people. Cause it's such an amazing, it was such an amazing platform. But Julie, you weaved in and out of my whole story. You, you're in and out of this whole thing. Cause that's one common thread is, is a lot of your work very much dovetailed into mine. Along the way. It was fun. So, okay. So then after you, cause obviously you ended up running team people. And so then, yeah, I actually went back to be the publisher, I'm sorry, the associate publisher of People around 9-11. And uh, that's, uh, so that it was during a very pivotal period, you know, because 9-11 had huge impact on our business and everything. And then, um, and then I was asked to go back to be the publisher of Team People, which I did. And then I went on very, I, they then, through the work we did at Team People, they, uh, they tapped me to be the publisher of Entertainment Weekly which I was so excited about. Um, it was, I'm a big entertainment fan, as you've heard. And yeah. I just thought that was so much, such a great move for me. And then very quickly, they asked me to be the publisher of People. Um, and that was a dream because uh, as you remember from the early part of my story, I just was glad to work there. The yeah. idea of becoming uh, the publisher 
was beyond beyond a dream come true. And it was also at a great time because uh, Martha Nelson came in as the uh, as the um, editor in chief of the property, and she uh, and she became an incredible partner. And we really worked hard to develop um, like some really innovative programs. So it was at a time where us was going from monthly to weekly. And what we did was we uh, we we put our heads together and said, how do we ultimately prevent you know, the erosion of people with us going weekly, part of which was the teen audience was migrating to the celebrities. And so we ultimately folded teen people. It was one of those rare moments where I had the privilege of launching and also the responsibility of folding the same property. It's kind of a rare thing in our business. Very. Um, and so we, we folded it, but, but I learned then a real good, important adage is never take away anything without replacing it with something better. And that's a, it's a lesson for life. Never say no or never take away anything unless you replace it with something better. Same thing with a job, same thing with your friends. So it's just like, you just don't, there's no such thing as elimination. You have to always consider how do you upgrade. So, um, so we came up before we folded team people, we came up with Style Watch, which was a brand that was all about celebrity style. It was aimed at the market. And ultimately uh, it, it proved to be really successful. And we, that's, that's where we went with it. On top of which, the people under Martha's leadership, we s- started building really terrific relationships with celebrities. And then we also decided that we wanted to have a stronger position in the world of entertainment. So I went out and, and worked with the team and secured the official magazine status at all the award shows, starting with the Grammys, uh, which is how I got involved with Naris and Music Harris. Um, we also did the Emmys, SAG Awards, um, everything, all the award shows ended up being part of the people family on um, the only, with the exception of, uh, the globes, which InStyle did. And then even, uh, with the Academy Awards, they didn't allow official properties, but to this day, people still populates the, uh, the grandstands with their readers. Um, so the people you see up in the stands along the red carpet are oh, people yeah. readers. Um, and so they're, they're just great you know, it was a great moment for us. And, and they still work that red carpet program to this day. Susan Parks, who's the head of marketing there, um, she and I worked at, together and, and worked on building that. And she's still carrying that legacy forward and doing a great job on it. That's amazing. And so you, where we're about to go, and I'm trying to figure out the best way for you to weave in um, kind of your personal life, because you've, you talked about your kids and, um you know, I want to make sure we give the story about how you met your wife because it's a it's a great it's a great story. So um, so maybe so maybe let's do let's let's talk about how you like the serendipity of timing of things with thinking about what comes next and then all the things that were happening with timing and how that worked out. Kind of sure. I mean, really quickly from the rest of my career is um, I after becoming a publisher, people. They then, uh, Martha and I sort of grew up on the business side, the editorial side in parallel. So she, she took on more titles, I took on more things. And, and so I ended up becoming the uh, president of the Style and Entertainment Group, overseeing InStyle and people in Espanol and Essence and people and, and a few others. And then and Entertainment Weekly was part of that. And then, um, and then ultimately she became the editor-in-chief and I, run, and I oversaw the revenue side of the business as the EVP. Um, overseeing all the different US-based titles. 
Uh, and then, uh, and then that was a really precarious time because we were going through a lot of transitions and, uh, and time ultimately I had an, I had, you know, people over the years kept trying to recruit me and, and I was always flattered, but never really entertained the idea. But there was this one persistent group that just kept coming at me to get into radio. And I just, and I just really wasn't that interested initially, but then, uh, uh, they just kept coming at it and then they gave me this really very strong offer and I was starting to consider it. But then Jeff Bukas, who is the CEO of Time Warner, came into my, uh, called me and said, come down to the conference room. I have some news. We walked down to the conference room. It was all my peers. Mark Ford was one of them. And we, uh, he told us that he was spinning out the company. And I, my, my heart sank because I couldn't, I didn't know, I didn't know what the future of Time Inc. was going to be at that point. Um, but I had this offer and I explained that to Jeff privately and we talked about it and I said, my aspiration is to be a CEO. I really want to see what that could be in my career. And I knew I couldn't be the CEO of Time Inc. at the time because I didn't have the experience to do a spin out. I wasn't the right person. Um, but I, I really felt it was important that I tried to be a CEO and to be the CEO of this radio company it seemed like the right step. It was the hardest decision, one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. I actually, uh, I'll tell you, it was leaving Time Inc. felt like I was getting divorced. I, it was an awful, awful, awful feeling at the same time as exciting. And um, uh, it was very emotional, but I did. And I went to this company called Dial Global, um, which I renamed later with the team to Westwood One. And uh, with the intent of this private equity deal and the intent was to sell it, and um, one of the people I started to build the relationships with, who was the CEO of Cumulus, offered the opportunity to buy Westwood One pretty quickly. And it was a really very good offer. And we accepted it. And eight months later, I found myself sold the company and out of a job. <laughs> sold myself <laughs> out of a job. And God, it was crazy as it could be. Three What's months. That? I mean, like a three-month flip is like... It was, yeah. It was like, I, I worked there literally for nine months total. It was three months sell, six months close. It was weird. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, which is good. And so then, and now like, you know, and that was the right thing because you, it kind of turned you on to the M&A and... A hundred percent. I learned so much from that. And and I realized that's, a, that was such a good future pace for me. And then I did, I was going to actually start PC Ventures at that time and start really taking the money I was uh, lucky enough to earn during that time yeah. and, uh, and start putting it to work for myself. And, uh, but Jackie Kelly convinced me otherwise, Jackie Kelly, who was the, um, she was at UM at the time and me, uh, media brands. Okay. She wanted me to come work for them at the agency side, which I knew wasn't for me, but I, it opened my eyes to think about other options. And I had talked to a bunch of people, one of which was Bloomberg. Um, Justin Smith was the, uh, the CEO of J Bloomberg Media and Mike was coming back from being mayor and I wasn't that intrigued by it. So I was actually going to go take another job somewhere else. And then Jackie quickly called me again and said, well, why wouldn't you go to Bloomberg? And I said, because um, I think this other job is really for me. And she said, no, let's do it together. <laughs> I said, what? And so she revealed she was going to go to Bloomberg and I said, well, if you're going to go, then I'll go. And so we went together and that's how I ended up at Bloomberg. With and I worked there for two years for Jackie and uh, was working with Mike Bloomberg was, was one of the things that I just cherished so much. He's such a good mentor and he's such, such a good leader. And uh, 
and, and working with Jackie was, was phenomenal. I also, you talk about serendipity, um, the, the one key hire I made was at the time was my head of digital who ended up, uh, when I met him, I got introduced to him by Justin Smith. I had breakfast with him before I accepted the job. Um, and he was one of the main reasons I ultimately told Jackie, yes, I'll do this. His name is Keith Grossman. And we, um, we had breakfast and within five minutes, I said, you know, Keith, we're going to work together. And uh, I didn't even have the job and I hired him. And we, I brought him up, I offered him the job, the head of digital. Long story short, I said to him, the reason why you're coming is because I'm not sure how long I'm going to be here because I still want to do PC ventures, but I'm going to help you. I want you to be my replacement. And so I hired him to be my replacement before we both even started. And he was, he is still one of my closest friends and he did replace me ultimately when I decided to stop working. He, he's the one who replaced me. And, uh, um, and he's now the president of the time and just crushing it. He's doing such a good job. Amazing. And now you're here with doing your, I mean, you've got to do your PC ventures, but letting so I, did, into- I did PC ventures for a short time, but my, but I still missed being part of a company and I love entertainment and I love sports. And, uh, another relationship I had was Mark Shapiro who worked with me at people when he was the CEO of Dick Clark. He was, uh, he produced our awards programs, our television programs. And, uh, and I called him up and said, I kind of missed being part of a team and missed the whole thing. And he gave me the, he, he shared with me his vision for experiences, which I completely loved. And, uh, and I agreed to come on to be the president of on location if they acquired it and, uh, took him a year, but they did acquire it. And, uh, and, it, and I had that same feeling walking into that job that I did the first day I walked into people. And I tell people all the time, this is my, this right now is literally my favorite job I've ever had. And only second to the publisher's job of people, if there is one, it's, so this, cool. is a, it, this has been a dream. Well, and I love that you've been able to combine that, like all of this goodness with then just what I think an amazing personal life you have. So kind of quick before we wrap up, will you, I, I would love just to give a little bit of the personal side is how for you have to tell the story of how you met your wife. Cause that's, a, sure. that's the best story. And then talk about of course, Griffin and, and then your kids. Sure. Of course. Thank you. Um, so I met my wife when I was growing up, we, we actually went to nursery school together, but we didn't know each other. Um, but I did meet her when I was 15. We were away on a weekend uh, at the same weekend serendipitously, but I happened to be with my girlfriend and, she was going with her friends and I was sitting on the bus when she and her friends walked on the bus. And I immediately, when I saw Pam, uh, I knew she was, I don't know, something about it just really struck me. So I literally broke up with my girlfriend and on the spot and I wanted to go and spend the weekend with Pam, which we did, but I was 15 years old and we were way too young. She was 13 and um, she was way too young. And um, so we, we left it there on the weekend. But when I got home, I told my mother, my mother said, how was the weekend? And I said, it was great. I broke up with my girlfriend though. And she said, oh, she said, and I said, it's fine. I think I met the girl I'm going to marry. And she said, oh, and I said, yeah, but she's too young. So forget it. And that was it. Fast forward a number of years in my mom's frame store in walks Pam one day, my mom chats with her and my mom says, look, I never do this, but can I set you up with my son? And Pam, who saw my picture on the wall, said, I know your son, but he'll never remember me. So she gave my mom the phone number. I, I said, Mom, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And she said, well, you should call her. She's awesome. So I did. And it's been <laughs> amazing ever since. So I've been married for, uh, oh, my goodness. I got married in 
1989. So it's my wife's going to kill me. It's like 32 years. Uh, yeah, I was like 32. Years. I can help you. Yeah, six years. Oh my god. Yeah. So we, um, it's been amazing. And we had my daughter, who I mentioned to you, the inspiration behind Team People, who works at L'Oreal right now, and she's actually uh, heading to uh, business school in the fall at Harvard. So I'm really proud of her. Wow. I, then we had my second son, Griffin. And, um, and he was a healthy, healthy young uh, a boy. And unfortunately he had one of the most like scariest things of all time. He died suddenly as an infant and it completely you know, wrecked us and changed our lives in many ways. And, and when Griffin died, I remember turning to Pam and we just said, you know, he's too young. It's like, he didn't even get a chance to live his life and to have impact on anyone else. And we vowed at that moment that whatever we did, we would have to give him the op- give him in his name the opportunity to affect positively other people forever. And we had to come up with an idea. And we did initially come up with the idea of building a park in our town called Griffin Park, which we do have here, um, that was built in his memory. But then Pam and I had this other idea of creating a program to support other families who've lost a child. And Pam uh really wrote the program and developed it and it's called griffin cares and it's uh it's headquartered in a local hospital here and it's been helping hundreds and hundreds of of families and women who have lost a baby either through miscarriage or after um after birth um or even later and uh they run a month they run a monthly support group and materials and and training for, for first responders and healthcare workers on how to handle families who've lost a child. Because when we lost Griffin, it was, we had no support or very little support. And now we want to make sure that people never had that. And like what John Legend and Chrissy Teigen went through is exactly the kind of support that we provide many, many, many people. And uh, um, so I'm really proud of that. And then we went on to have two other children, Ryan, who's graduated uh, most recently Cornell, and he is working at Mondelez as, a, uh, as an engineer. And then my youngest one is graduating school in Boston this, this spring, and he's a musician, and he's hopefully and wanting to embark on his uh, music producing career. So you got all three, they each, they each got a little bit of you and all your passions. Kind of fun that way, isn't it? Yeah, I, I kind it of love fun that. that way. I love that. And I love the Back to Sleep campaign that, that you helped to create. Yeah. So, so when, when really in the middle of, before we founded Griffin Cares, I was on the board of CJ Foundation for SIDS because we found them to be the greatest support we had at the time. And they were great. Joel Hollander and his wife, Susan, founded it for their daughter, Carly Jenna. And Joel was the head of ABC Sports Radio at the time. And then ultimately became the CEO of Westwood One, which is kind of interesting connection point. Yeah. Um, but they, I was proud to work on CJ. And one of the things that the research that we heard was if you put your child on their sleep, uh, when they put, put his child to sleep, if you put them on their back, then it, reduces, it could reduce the rate of SIDS um, by half. Um, and it's just a simple thing. So Joel and I looked at each other and said, well, if we can raise awareness, let's do that. So we, um, we worked with Jerry Della Femina and came up with a campaign called the Back to Sleep Campaign which is literally that, put your child on their back to sleep, ran it everywhere, donated like millions of dollars worth of Time Inc. Media to support it and radio time through, through Joel. And then really begged and pleaded with anyone we could think of to get more ad space for it. Um, and it ran a free, totally free campaign. 
which ultimately uh, we do literally reduce the rate of SIDS in half, which is how you and I met because, well, we met before, right? We met at right. Fort Focus, but the story of the AAF award, which is to this day, one of my most proudest moments, I, yeah. I won that award maybe because of my career, but also because of the work I did philanthropically on that. And, uh, and it was such a great way for us to raise awareness too, is to tell, to keep telling that story of just how to, how to, uh, prevent child death. Yeah, it was the, I, I remember very well. So you and I were both the, the AAF, it was the hall of achievement, but it was, I'm trying to remember that it's for the, it's younger. So we were From both under 40, 40, right. So it was both. And so there was you and me, do you remember the other, I think there were two others. I don't actually remember. Who I, I, I honestly, you're the one I remember you. every time. <laughs> I know you're the only one I remember too. I'll go back. I'll have to go back and look. But I, you're the only one I ever remember, like clearly from it. But I remember your speech so well because you talked about this, and it was something that, um, you know, I thought was just so poignant because we were all there, kind of living in the in the glow of people seeing, thinking that we at a young age were doing great things with our careers. And I just remember thinking, yeah, but Paul is doing like he's he's making people's lives better. I don't know by people driving in Ford Focus. I mean, I, I hope it's a good experience, but I don't know that their lives better, but you are saving lives. And I, my, my, I was, I remember, and I'm not, it's, you know, I, because my oldest who I, by, by that point in time, I had both of my boys, but my oldest was eight weeks premature. And so I had done the work with the March Dimes because for premature births and trying to give back that way, but I never to, never to anything close to what you had done. And I was just, I was really so impressed and just so admired what you were able to do with your career at the same time, making such a huge impact on just the lives of so many. So I, honestly, on behalf of so many families out there, thank you for all that you've done. Well, thank you. I mean, my wife gets a lot of the credit, honestly, because she's um, she really has done so much with Griffin Cares. But also that same AAF ceremony is where I met Jackie, because she right. walked to the stage right after that speech and said, we don't know each other, although... We actually did because we worked together at USA Today 20 oh. years prior. She um, said, we don't know each other, but I loved your speech so much. We're going to be friends. And you know what? We did. We had lunch a week later and became friends. And uh, it became a very long relationship since then. So to, your, to how we started this whole conversation of it is all about the people you meet along the way and the intersections you have and you, the profound impact that everybody has in each other's lives. But I'm super grateful for you in my life and for all the people that came across my world as well. And, um, and to all the people in the future, I mean, I just feel so thankful that I've had this career and, uh, and thankful for the people that have been part of it. That's what this is all about. This is a, uh, it's the, it's the, who, you know, not what you know. Right. So thank you for sharing your story. Um, I know that this is going to be a huge hit with, with people. It'll make such a big difference. And, um, I'm just glad that I finally got you on here. So thanks for being my guest. Thank you, Julia. I really appreciate it. It was really, really fun. Thank, Thank you. you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.